Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com, where we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. Uh, JC is taking the afternoon off today. We'll have him back tomorrow, so you just got me. <laughs> I am happy to have you with me here today. All constitution, all liberty, all the time, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And I'm happy to be in the first day of 2020. Welcome to the new Roaring Twenties. <laughs> Great, Roaring Twenties. Not quite sure how that's going to apply in uh, this decade, but just think about it. We're entering into a brand new decade. And if anything, we can all agree on, it has to be that this is going to be a very, very historic decade. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to prophesy anything major, but I think just looking at what we've come through in the next few years and uh, the last few years and what's coming up in the next few years, I don't think anybody could argue that this is going to, to be you know, anything less than historic. And just think about it. We're going to be in the history books. This is what we make of it. I'm going to have to find that that um, quote from Alexander Hamilton, one of my favorites. Uh, his his real. You could just hear Alexander Hamilton just going, "Oh, come on, people! Come on, people! Let's get this done." And I know we don't have a lot of. Uh, there, there are a few people out there who are not big Alexander Hamilton fans. Uh, Alexander Hamilton yoked up with the wrong people later in life, and it brought into question uh, his motivations and his loyalties during the writing and ratification of the Constitution. But remember, truth is truth no matter where you find it. And what he wrote and what he spoke during the ratifications of the Constitution were truth. Truth in the eyes of those who helped write, those who voted, those who ratified. These were the facts and the reality of not only that day, but how the Constitution was, was supposed to be uh, used and applied. You know me, I, I said all the time, the Constitution doesn't need interpretation. It needs application. It's not written in Chinese. We don't need to interpret the document. We don't need to define new meetings. We don't need to come up with new phrases. We don't have to figure out how it's supposed to work. We just have to simply apply what our founders wanted us to have. Uh, those who ratified, even Madison, when he's talking about it's, it's more relevant to understand what those who ratified the Constitution meant. Right, because you can sometimes get lost in the whole discussion of the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists, and I see this all the time. These discussions are absolutely vital. The Anti-Federalists, the Federalist discussions, they give us the big round picture. They tell us how our Constitution is supposed to be applied. But if you get lost in the minutiae, you might get caught up in the argument itself and not realize that the argument is actually the mechanism that drives us to the final product. And yes, there are things that the Anti-Federalists want that didn't happen. There are things that the Federalists wanted that didn't happen. 
What is relevant, what is more relevant, as Madison says, is what those who ratified the Constitution uh, intended in the ratification of each section, each clause, uh, and in each, each word. I mean, they took lots of time, lots of trouble, lots of deliberation to get down to the very basics, but precisely what it is our Constitution was supposed to say, how it's supposed to work, and the limits and the defined de uh, definitions of those terms. I mean, I don't, I don't, can't, I can't tell you how many times I have these conversations on social media, on Twitter. Um, I don't have a lot of conversations on LinkedIn. People don't usually do a lot of interacting there on my page. They just come for information and go. Uh, but on Twitter and Facebook, do a lot of talking, sometimes even on Instagram. But for the most part, most people are very, very confused. And I'm going to say both sides on what the Congress can actually do. Do you know how many times I have people tell me, well, Congress has the authority to write laws. Didn't you read that in the Constitution? Yes, I read that in the Constitution. It's right there in Article I. Laws are to be made by Congress. Now that's opposed to being laws made by the executive. Laws made by the executive makes the executive a king, and we weren't gonna have kings anymore. Laws made by the judiciary are also not allowed, much to the dismay of most of our judicial supremacists in the legal field and our professors and our pundits who like to say things like, oh, well, the, that uh, Roe v. Wade is the supreme law of the land. No, it's not. It's a Supreme Court case. Judiciary doesn't make law. They don't even make law by definition. That's something that we give them the authority to do that they don't have via the Constitution. All make lawmaking responsibility is reserved to the Congress. But they are not reserved the authority to make all laws, meaning whatever law they wish that they want or they can devise or divine or imagine. I had this conversation with a representative from Michigan. His name is Tim Wahlberg. And he, he, it's on YouTube, you can see it. Looked me in the face and said, hey, the only limits to the laws that Congress can make are those that Congress can get the majority to vote upon. As if America is just simply a democracy of 455, right? Well, at this point, what's the, the majority? It was like 235 or something like that. So whatever, uh, less than 200, uh, less than 300 people in America can agree on. That's the limit of the power of Congress to make laws. That is, that is the worst form of democracy. That is a tyranny. And but majority of Americans actually believe the only limit on federal power is whatever Congress can decide they want to do. I mean, seriously, you don't know how many congressmen I hear that from. Tim Wahlberg was not the first and he won't be the last. Most people forget Article 6, Clause 2, that the Constitution is the supreme law of the land and that only laws made by Congress that are made in pursuance to the Constitution can also be the supreme law of the land. 
Meaning, if Congress passes a law that does not fall in the specifically limited and enumerated authority in Article 1, Section 8, then that law is not the supreme law of the land. Our founders would tell you very specifically it is no law at all. Period. James Wilson says it will not have the force of law. Alexander Hamilton said it is null and void. And by the way, so does Article 6, Clause 2 of the Constitution. It says that laws not made in pursuance to the Constitution will not bind the judges of our states. So there you have it. Congress is limited. And by the way, if you're confused by the General Welfare Clause or the Necessary and Proper Clause or the Commerce Clause, may I suggest that you go to ChrisAnnHall.com and read the article uh, James Madison on General Welfare, It's Not About Money. Because James Madison had this conversation in 1792 with the House of Representatives explaining that the General Welfare Clause is not a power. It's not a power. You can't claim the General Welfare Clause authorized Congress to do something because it is not a power. The General Welfare Clause is the description of, a pur of the purpose of the powers delegated. It's not to they can, so they can do generally whatever they want to do. It's so Congress knows that when they create a law or when treaties are created and negotiated, all those laws and treaties must be in consideration of the general welfare of the states. Meaning, number one, you cannot make a law that benefits one state, detriments the other. You can't sign America up for a treaty agreement, a war, a peace agreement, where one group of people or one group of states benefits and the other groups are losers. The entire union has to be taken into account in a general perspective when laws, treaties, wars, and peace are created. And that's simply what that means. Bottom shelf, people, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's very simple. And if that's one thing that I could really, really impart to the American people, one thing that I think could change the landscape of America like that. It would be to understand that Congress doesn't have the authority to be the majority rule, that they cannot pass whatever laws that they want, and that any law that is not made in pursuant to specifically enumerated and delegated powers has no authority. And what exactly do, what kind of obligation do we have to submit ourselves to something that has no legal authority whatsoever. No legal authority even according to the supreme law of the land. What obligation do we have to submit to something like that? None. That's the only answer. None. Except for this one. The ones that we invent in our mind. Out of ignorance, fear, complacency, apathy, covetousness, greed, you know, fill in the blank. Whatever your personal motivation is, where you want Congress to do something they're not allowed to do, and it's okay because it either benefits you or it doesn't hurt you, or you don't care. Well, that's not how our government was created. Is it created of the people, by the people, for the people? 
And foreign power has no place in America. And if we needed to understand that, oh my goodness, let me pull this up here for you. Uh, all we have to do is go to George Washington's farewell address. Can you hear me typing this? There, George Washington's farewell address. And what's amazing is that George Washington, in his final address as the President of the United States, the first president under this Constitution, spent time explaining to us that we should be unyoked. We should never have an unnatural connection with any foreign power. Meaning our connection should be just simply naturally out of trade and negotiations. That foreign rule is not a place for America. And guess what? We, uh, our founders actually knew that because uh, they had lived through foreign rule for so long that they put in the final, well, I would say in the fifth document, if you are a student at libertyfirstuniversity.com. So if you're a student at libertyfirstuniversity.com and you have taken the uh, genealogy of the Constitution class, then you know that there are five documents that create our Constitution, five English documents. And the fifth of those English documents is the English Bill of Rights. And in the English Bill of Rights of 1689, everyone in government had to take an oath that they would not have any allegiance whatsoever to foreign rule. And this is what, what um, oh, excuse me, what George Washington is saying in his farewell address. And I have this up here. Now, JC's not here. So let me see if I can make this happen so that you can see this. La 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 la. Here we go. Look at that. All right. Against the insidious wiles of foreign influence, I conjure you to believe me, fellow citizens. The jealousy of a free people ought to be, what is that word? Constantly awake since history and experience prove that foreign influence is one of the most baneful foes of Republican government. How about that? George Washington telling us right then and there, guess what? Foreign influence is one of the most baneful foes of liberty. I just, I want us to understand and let that sink in. I believe that's sinking in, I, or at least has started to sink in, in the UK. It's the whole reason the Brexit is what it is. Because the Brexit is the, the people of Britain saying, we don't want foreign influence anymore. We're not going to have it. Now I'm going to show you something. This is just absolutely stunning to me. Look at this. This is the United Nations page. Ooh, I have to put it up here for you. This is the United Nations page. This is a job opening that came up December 26, 2019. It is open until February 8, 2020. Their position, posting title, 
Disarmament, Demobilization, and Reintegration Officer P4, which I'm imagining is some kind of pay grade, right? Pay level four. The position is located in the dis is located in the disarmament, demobilization, and reintegration section of the Office of the Rule of Law and Security Institutions within the Department of Peacekeeping Operations in New York City. Okay, problem number one, you should already see. We we have the United Nations resting in New York City. Now, I don't know how many people out there watching actually realize that the United Nations believes that the United Nations building and, and the people in Washington, D.C. believe that the United Nations building and the property that it rests upon is foreign soil. Our Congress has actually said that the United Nations building can be foreign soil. Now, as a people who love liberty and are supposed to be ever jealous against the insidious wiles of foreign influence, how is it that we have allowed foreign government to own foreign, to convert, let me just put, to convert U.S. soil into foreign land? That ought to be not that, that ought to arise alarm in every person in America. And yet, here we are. And yet, where is the concern? I mean, seriously, that, that is a big question that we should be asking. What does the United Nations even have to do with being on our soil right now? So I want to show you this disarmament right the uh, competencies are uh, oh the language English and French are the working languages of the nation of the United Nations for this posted advertised in uh, for this post advertised excuse me blah 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 fluency in English is required knowledge of French is desirable okay but if the only required language for a disarmament, demobilization, and reintegration officer, whose base is going to be in New York City, by the way, not in Iraq, not in some foreign country, but right here. And this is supposed to be because somebody told me, oh, well, this career, this is just a standard job opening, Chrisanne. This is just for the disarmament, uh, demobilization, and reintegration office. Uh, their Department of Peace Operations, so that they can disarm, demobilize, and reintegrate people in other countries as wars end. Well, if that's the case, then why is, the, why is English the only language that they're concerned about? Then my second question would be this, and I don't know if this is just the obvious. Why are we involved? in disarming other people in other countries. If we actually believe in America that disarming the people while the government remains armed is the absolute equivalent to slavery, and we should believe that because that is the truth. Disarming people 
while the government remains armed, is the institution of slavery. We've talked about this before. Because if you have to depend on someone in government to protect your life, your liberty, and your property, then guess what? Guess what? You are now owned by whomever is assigned to protect you. You have a baron over you, right? Because I want you to think about this very logically. If someone is assigned the responsibility to protect you, by the way, the Supreme Court of the United States has written that the police do not have an obligation to protect you. So that sort of flows all, throws all that in the wind, doesn't it? But let's just assume that you are assigned a police officer or a district office or a county office to protect you. You are disarmed by law, but you are assigned a, a people or a division to protect you, which will always come down to one or two people, right? Then what happens when you are in danger? Those people come. You have no way to protect yourself. You, I'm sorry, I just, I just had a flash of the uh, House hearings on red flag laws. I watched them. My friend Val slipped me the C-SPAN video of, of the House arguing over federal funding to encourage red flag laws. And I listened to some of that oh, st utter stupidity drivel out of these ignorant slave minds, right? Slaves are tyrants. It do, you can't really tell the difference when you're talking about gun control, right? Because gun control is only attractive to slaves and tyrants. And it's sometimes difficult to understand who you're actually talking to. Do you have a slave mentality or do you have a tyrant mentality? Is that what makes you want to disarm the people? Because those are the only two logical points there. Right? Because the only question in disarming the people is, do you trust that those in power, who, by the way, will be, remain armed, will never use their power, the force of government, to take your life, your liberty, or your property? If you can't trust people in power to never do that, then the answer to any gun control question must be no. Because gun control is not gun control, it's people control. And I don't mean to get off topic here, but I, I want us to get to the logic of this, right? Because the question here is, why are we involved in disarming the people of other countries? If we believe what we believe in America, I suspect it's because so many in the American population believe that our right to keep and bear arms is derivative of the Second Amendment. And since maybe other countries don't have a Second Amendment, then they don't have a right to keep and bear arms. But we have to be above and beyond that. We have to understand that the right to keep and bear arms is a natural right. It is a, a right essential to the very first law of nature, which is the duty of self-preservation. You have a right. Samuel Adams in 1772 wrote this. My goodness, a man ruled by a king said that 
among the natural rights of the colonists, among the natural rights of people who are ruled by a king. First life, second liberty, third property, together, number four, with the right to protect and defend them. If you don't have the right to protect and defend them, then they're not yours. They belong to somebody else. So back to my analogy. You're assigned someone to protect you. That person shows up on scene to protect you. And at that moment decides, guess what? I don't feel like it. It's too dangerous for me. It's too much of a sacrifice. I don't want to lose my life. I don't want to lose my property. I'm not going to protect you. At that point, that person owns you. Because at that point, that person has now assigned a value to your life and your liberty and your property. And when one person assigns a value to another person, that's ownership, that is slavery. And when the people are disarmed, they are enslaved. And that's what the UN does. By the way, the UN disarms people. The UN enslaves people. JC and I worked in Haiti. We've seen UN troops on the ground. We've seen the tyranny of them. I think one of the worst tyrannies of them, guess, is, is what, J, what uh, George Washington was talking about, the insidious wiles of foreign influence. These people are foreign. They have no attachment, no emotional loyalty, no fidelity to the people of the country they occupy. J.C. personally witnessed the commander of a U.N. force in Haiti draw a pistol and start shooting unarmed Haitian protesters. Oh no, Chris Ann's telling fake news. We never saw that in the news. Just because you never saw it in the, in the, in the mainstream media doesn't mean it didn't happen. And I would suggest to you there's a lot that the United Nations does that you don't know about that you'll never know about unless you're actually living in that country. People occupied by the United Nations hate them. Hate them. Can't wait to get rid of them. And here we are giving them permission to live on our land. And we're hiring our people to disarm others. And I just want to ask you, is this just eerily too coincidental that we have people in Virginia saying if the National Guard will refuse to enforce Virginia's gun, gun confiscation laws, we're going to have to call in the UN. We've actually had people say that. And now, now, now we have a job opening at the United Nations until the 8th of February for someone who only needs to speak English not Arabic not Swahili not Afrikaans not Haitian Creole my goodness you don't even have to speak French which is the other language of the United Nations don't ask me how that happened I don't know I think we should just ask these questions. When I posted this on Twitter, someone's like, oh my goodness, Chrisanne, there's going to be tinfoil all over this post. You know what? If 
if asking questions now all of a sudden becomes tinfoil, we're doomed. We are doomed. If even conservatives are afraid to ask questions, then what's the point of even calling yourself a conservative? That's a very bad thing when you can no longer question government without having your integrity questioned as well. JC wanted me to tell you guys um, to go look at this job opening. And his suggestion was, if you are a low-key patriot, which would be <laughs> somebody opposite of Chris Ann Hall, right? If you are a low-key patriot, scrub, JC said, scrub your social media right now and then go apply for this job. I think that's a great idea to get some patriots into the United Nations job seeking system. Come on now, we need some infiltrators. The FBI infiltrates our groups. The CIA infiltrates all over the country. We need some intelligence gathering people. Some some very knowledgeable, foundationally grounded, but low-key patriots who won't, you know, who can be double agents. <laughs> How's that? Go sign up. Go put in your job application. Let's see what this is all about. Seriously, if I could do it, I would. But I am certainly, certainly not low-key. Now, asking questions is not the end, right? Asking questions is not the end. Asking questions is the beginning. And this is what we have to do. We have to be the ones to change the narrative. We have to be the ones to speak the truth because the problem is this. Nobody else will. And I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of name callings. My goodness, I don't think there's anything out there that I haven't been called at this point in time. The names don't bother me anymore. The names don't stop me. If anything, they, they embolden me. They make me want to have, you know, what, what, what new name can you come up with for Chris Ann Hall today? I'm not going to list the names. I'm not going to get anybody any credibility, but pff, they're out there, man. Chris Ann Hall is a full-on tyrant. See, this is people who have websites that sell T-shirts like this, uh, Liberty First Gear, being necessary to the security of the free state, uh, the, uh, shall not be infringed on the back with the scary guns on the front and, and crosshairs on the back, right? People who have websites who sell stuff like that, uh, we, we don't apply for UN jobs. <laughs> got your Got Liberty t-shirt? How about this one? This one says on the back, Chris Ann Hall's Liberty First Gear, chrisannhall.com. On the back, Samuel Adams quote, no people will tamely surrender their liberties nor be easily subdued when knowledge is diffused and virtue is preserved. On the contrary, when the people are universally ignorant and debauched in their manners, they will sink underneath their own weight without the aid of foreign invaders. 
You see, the United Nations is in America not because the United Nations deserves to be there. The United Nations is in America because we're sinking in our ignorance. Because we don't know. We're not taught anymore. I was thinking about this today. JC and I talked about doing this, the Cecil Rhodes show. I'm thinking we should do that on Monday. I, I'm, I'm going to sort of pencil in that as a plan. So all of you who are looking forward to the Cecil Rhodes, the real deep state, to see how far back the deep state actually goes historically. Uh, pencil in our Chris Ann Hall show on Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Because I was thinking, because people say, well, you know, we teach globalism and the deep state uh, people are globalists. I don't think we realize what that really means. Deep state is globalism. And it's run by internationals, by foreign influence. Yes, maybe they're Americans who hold the jobs. But the people who hold the jobs are not the deep state. It's the people who pull the strings. And they are, I, I, I don't know, globalist, yes, but they're foreign. And until we realize that George Soros is not the leader of the gang, he is funded by other people. Go look at how George Soros got his money. George Soros actually made all his money in 24 hours. That is not possible. That is absolutely not possible. What is possible is that they found a willing Pan, pot, what is it, slug, we'll just call him a slug. They found a willing pawn and they laundered money through the stock exchange so that George Soros could make his money in 24 hours. He's bought and paid for. He is not the deep state. He is the employee of the deep state. And the Cecil Rhodes show will show you who the deep state actually are because you won't know their names think about that seriously if I have enough money power and influence to control countries to control governments you don't know my name no seriously you don't know my name you don't know how much money I have you don't even know if I exist so we'll show you that these are all factual things that will show you if you hey if you want to go over the Cecil Rhodes class with us like as like a study guide uh, get the book the killing of Uncle Sam the killing of Uncle Sam's available on Amazon it's got lots of great reviews JC and I both read it it's a very very powerful life-changing book it's the first in a series of two so far so if you want to do like a Liberty first training session you know me I'm a teacher at heart so that's what I like get your make sure when you watch the show on Monday you have your uh, copy of The uh, Killing of Uncle Sam along with you, and we'll go through it. So, who, raise your hand, is going to go apply for the United Nations job? <laughs> well, even if you don't apply for the United Nations job, let's make sure that we start asking these questions. And first and foremost, we need to start lobbying to kick the United Nations off our soil. They got no business here. Seriously, what happens? 
if we Amera exit from the United Nations, what happens if we wake up, the scales fall off our, our American eyes, and we catch a snap? And we say, you know what, this United Nations thing is nuts. We're funding this stuff. We've got no busy dis business disarming other people. We're no, we shouldn't be in the process of enslaving people. We're not going to do this anymore. We're not going to be the disarming force of the world. Oh, my goodness, I can't even imagine. Just the, the implication of that. What happens? When the United Nations runs through Europe and disarms all the people. What happens when the United Nations runs through Africa and disarms all the people? Through the Caribbean and disarms all the people. What would stop Hitler, Stalin, Mao Zedong, Mussolini, if the United Nations had existed and disarmed, had disarmed all the people? Which is kind of ironic because the United Nations was created after World War II to ensure global peace. When we think about it in reality, the disarmament of the people that the United Nations is engaged in, it is their purpose to disarm. That is a main goal, to disarm the people. And they're not disarming the countries. They're disarming the people. Had the United Nations existed and been successful in their plan prior to World War II, where would the world be today? I mean, that's just something to think about. Because wars aren't won simply because soldiers hit the field. Wars are won because when they're invaded, the people have the authority to fight back. I wanted to talk to you today about uh, a couple Supreme Court cases that are coming up. Um, I want you to see first all the Liberty gear that we have. Go to chrisannhall.com. Uh, there is a 10% off code until February 14th. If you put in Liberty 10, one word, Liberty, L-I-B-E-R-T-Y, and the number 10, one zero, Liberty one zero. In your order, you will get 10% off of all your purchase. Now that's, that's huge when you're buying clothes, right? 10% off. And just because we're out of the holidays doesn't mean you don't do that. Now look, if you look at this thing here, we have, um, we have the Real Women in Courage. We have these postcards for many of the things, especially the educational ones. You can order the postcards and hand them out. Today I have my Liberty First University coffee mug. Mm. Don't simply pontificate, educate. Make people ask questions. Questions are the most powerful thing that we have. So here's one of the things, Supreme Court cases that I wanted to handle with you guys today. And the NPR headline is most annoying. Supreme Court broadens the government's power to detain criminal immigrants. There's no power being broadened here. This is just more 
propaganda. And what they're talking about, and the reason, one of the reasons I wanted to cover this case is because we talked about this case before the Supreme Court took it. This is uh, Nielsen uh, from the Secretary of Homeland Security uh, versus Priep et al., which are some uh, illegal aliens who, are, who fall into a specific category of of um, let me put this up here so we can find this fall in a specific category of having been detained in criminal custody okay it falls under 8 USC section 1226 and in this section I'm going to show you up here on YouTube if you're if uh, you're watching us on YouTube if you're just listening to us via podcast remember you can always go to the Chris Ann Hall YouTube channel where you can watch what we do and then we also have the visual aids like you do right now right and so in this 8 USC 1226 US code aliens and nationality apprehension and detention of aliens and so what this is about is about detaining aliens who have been arrested for committing crimes uh, pending their deportation. That's it, bottom line. So 8 U.S.C. 1226 authorizes the federal government to detain aliens who have been charged with crimes, convicted of crimes, to detain them until their deportation. Now, which is really kind of crazy because the NPR says the government's power to detain criminal immigrants has been broadened when it's right here in writing. Now, what you need to understand about this is how those who manipulate for their agenda, for their angle, take words and twist and change their meanings. So let me explain to you here. Since we have this here up on YouTube, I'll show you. This is 8 U.S.C. 1226, Section A, attention, uh, Arrest, Detention, and Release. Now the question comes under um, this subsection. Where is this? Do, 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 do. Oh, here I go. Now I'm, now I'm confused because I'm lost. Oh, okay. The section that says C1, 1226 C1, when the alien is released. Okay? So when the alien is released from custody after arrest or conviction, 1226 C1 says that A, B, C that the Attorney General shall take into custody any alien who is A, inadmissible by reason of having committed an offense covered in Section 182, so they have a list of offenses where they're ineligible or inadmissible to uh, immigration. Okay, so they're not even allowed to come into the country because of this offense. 
or someone who is deportable by reason of having committed any offense covered in this section. So in section one, uh, in section 1182A2, you're not even admissible to the country if you've committed certain offenses. It doesn't say convicted, by the way, it says committed. B, you are deportable if you've committed uh, any of the uh, crimes covered in section 227, uh, subsection A, and there's a whole list of them there. So if you're inadmissible because of what you, of the crime you've committed, if you're deportable because of the crime you're committed, or you're deportable under another section, or you're inadmissible under section D under another section, then the attorney general shall take into custody any alien uh, who has committed these crimes when the alien is released without regard, here it is, when the alien is released without regard whether the alien is released on parole, supervised release, probation, or without regard to whether the alien may be arrested or imprisoned again for the same offense. So what's interesting is that these word manipulators, these meaning manipulators, have honed in on this phrase, and it's really hard to explain because it really makes no sense at all, but literally the entire legal argument, by the way, for Supreme Court justices vehemently support this ridiculous argument that says this phrase when the alien is released means that if the attorney general does not take the alien into custody the minute the second the millisecond they are released from custody then they can't take them into custody at all so five minutes later is too late. You missed your window because it says when the alien is released, five minutes later, you can't take this alien into custody and hold them until deportation. Now remember, by law, they're already inadmissible and deportable or and or deportable. So we're not talking about people who are in the country legally. We're not even talking about people who are in the country who are abiding by the laws. We're talking about people who are in the country who have committed crimes that make them inadmissible here, that make them deportable here. So this is not just any person who wants to come and make a living and wants to become a citizen and wants to enter into the pathway of citizenship. So don't give me that, that uber libertarian open borders argument. It does not apply in this case. You can make that argument in other places. We can have that discussion in other places, but you cannot have that here because the uniform rule of naturalization says that if you have committed certain offenses, you are number one, admissible, or number two, you are deportable if you're already here. And that's who we're talking about. These people are inadmissible because of the crimes they've committed. They are deportable because of the crimes they're committed done. And the argument is that once we have uh, arrested them for these crimes or convicted them for these crimes and maybe the crime doesn't involve imprisonment and they get parole or they get 
supervised release or they get probation, if we're if the attorney general is not standing at the door when they're released and they don't uh, uh, detain them that very second, the the illogical, illiterate argument is you can't release them later. And four Supreme Court justices actually buy into that. Actually argue vehemently. Now, uh, Ilito, here's the, the Supreme Court case I'm showing you up here on YouTube. This is actually the uh, the um, opinion was decided in March. Okay? And so we're talking about this now, and I don't, why do they, the, the question becomes, why do they bring up all of these old things? Well, because we, it's election time, right? And we need to know why we need a, a Supreme Court, we need a new president because we need a new Supreme Court justice because Ruth Bader Ginsburg is about to die, right? So Ruth Bader Ginsburg either is going to retire or pass on, and we need a new president. And because we need a new president, we need somebody who's not going to have this kind of opinion, who will side with the other four, who have this absolutely ridiculous, ignoramus argument. I don't know, how can you fashion yourself to be an educated person and argue that this phrase, when the alien is released, means that if you aren't there when they get out, that if it's a few days later, if it's a few weeks, weeks later, you can't arrest them. Does anybody know how long it takes for paperwork to work in Washington, D.C. anyway? I was a prosecutor in North Florida when George Bush was president of the United States, back before ICE existed. It was INS. And as a prosecutor, we had forms that we would fill out and we would fax to the INS agents uh, in our local district. The fax would go out. There's a list of crimes. Remember, this section here says uh, we have a list of crimes where people are deportable and inadmissible in the country. Prosecutors have that list, or at least they have access to that list. And so when you have your prosecutor and you see that you have someone who is not in the country as a, as a uh, well, even as a green card holder at this point, because if they're deportable based on their crime, you have, uh, they don't have a green card, they have a green card, they are not here on a visa, they're here on a visa. If they've committed any of these crimes, then the prosecutor is supposed to fill out this form, fax it over to ICE, which at the time when I was a prosecutor was INS, and then the Department of Justice would put a hold on that person in the jail saying, okay, you can't release them because we are going to take them into custody and deport them. I did that a lot. Okay, so Chrisanne's now a bad guy, right? I'm a bad guy. I can't, I've, it was my job. I filled out forms to have people deported for committing crimes because that's what the statute said. 
And that's, I don't know, you can argue that it was wrong, it was right, whatever, I don't care. If you're going to be in this country, you're visiting this country, you want to be a citizen of this country, and you're going to commit a violent crime, you've abused that opportunity. And I'm sorry, you can't be here anymore. We used to have stricter rules, by the way. Go look at the rules at Ellis Island. In Ellis Island, back, you know, back in the day, if they looked at you and thought you weren't right in the head, if you sneezed or coughed and they thought you were sick, they would turn you away. This is, ought to be who we are. We ought to have the right to say we are not going to be an open doorway for criminals, period. You don't get to leave, flee your country and come commit crimes here, period. So when I did this, as a prosecutor, when George Bush was president, that's when a switch came from INS to ICE. I had an INS agent who, who went by the name Hollywood. He was, a, he was a funny guy, real colorful character. And I would call him and then, you know, we'd talk and say, all right, Hollywood, I got a few more I'm faxing over to you today. Just let me know what you guys want to do. If you're not going to do anything, uh, if you're not going to send over a hold, let me know. We'll continue with prosecution or what we ever going to do. Well, I started George Bush when the switch came from INS to ICE. George Bush, George W. Bush, made a bunch of changes. And I was doing my job as I did before, faxing over these INS holds. And I was hearing nothing from Hollywood, which was very, very odd. And so I contacted, I called him, I said, hey man, what's up? I'm not, I'm not hearing anything from you. What's going on? He says, well, we're not INS anymore, we're ICE, and I'm not, you're not my jurisdiction anymore. He was in Jacksonville, Florida. He says, all right, your jurisdiction is now in Tallahassee, and you have to contact this person in Tallahassee who's with ICE to do what I did. And he was, he was, he was very, very, I'll just put it mildly, very irritated. He told me, he says, we're nothing more than baggage claim checkers now. We don't do anything. And so we had a conversation. I was like, oh, man, this is George W. Bush, not Barack Obama, by the way. George W. Bush changed how all of this works. And I was like, oh, man, I'm really sorry to hear that. You know, I hope we can keep in touch. I'll see what I can do on the other side. So I sent my fax over to the number that he gave me in Tallahassee, Florida. Nothing. Crickets. Period. Nothing at all. And so I got on the phone and I tried to call somebody and I got voicemails and transfers and blah, 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 blah. And I finally, because I am a persistent person, I finally got in touch with someone and I said, look, I, I, I need help here. You got to tell me. The, I understand things have changed. I want to know how the system works now. Teach me how this works so we can get this flowing again. Now let me give you a little background here. I prosecuted in a small rural county whose population, 14,000 people, okay? The county I was working in, I worked in multiple counties because there were so few people. But in this particular county, 14,000 people. There are actually seven counties we were working in, and so this was one of them. In this particular county, 14,000 people, 
This bureaucrat for ICE in Washington, D.C. told me, stop faxing us these holds. We don't have the manpower to deal with the, Im with the illegal immigration problem in your county. I said, what? I said, there's only 14,000 people in my county total. How can you tell me you don't have the manpower to deal with the one or two I might send you every six months? He says, stop faxing me, stop sending me. We're not going to do this. We don't have the manpower. We don't have the directive anymore. Thank you, George W. Bush. So I get really irritated when people are always like, oh, it's Barack Obama's fault. No, it's not. Barack Obama didn't open up the floodgates. Barack Obama didn't stop prosecuting criminals. Violent criminals, by the way. Because we didn't deport people for just anything. It, we went for we went by the list, the violent crimes. I didn't have the authority to vote deport anyone. I'm a prosecutor for Pete's sakes. But now we had violent criminals, robbery, child molestation, rape, attempted murder, aggravated battery, and some bureaucrat in Tallahassee was telling me, stop bothering me. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to do my job. So here we have the same mentality again trying to argue, right, that when the alien is released means that very second. I want to I show you what Kavanaugh wrote in this. Where is Kavanaugh? So now Alita wrote the main opinion, but Kavanaugh wrote a concurring opinion, and he wrote it, the very last thing that he wrote was, was very, well, I thought it was very to the point. And so I'm going to pull this up for you. I probably should have scrolled. <laughs> oh, here we go. Kavanaugh writes, It would be odd in my view if the act mandated detention of particular non-citizens because the non-citizens posed a serious risk of danger or flight that they must be detained during their removal proceedings, but nonetheless allowed the non-citizens to remain free during their removal proceedings if the executive branch failed to immediately detain them upon their release from criminal custody. Not surprisingly, the act does not require such an odd result. On the contrary, the relevant text of the act is relatively straightforward as the court explains. Interpreting the te that text, the court correctly holds that the executive branch's detention of the particular non-citizens here remained mandatory, even though the executive branch did not immediately detain them. And again, here's, I, I just want to point that out because I think this is so very important. He says, the statute is written in such a way that it is mandated their detention because of the violent crimes that they've committed and because they're a danger to society or a flight risk. They, de deta detaining them is mandatory. But 
Ginsburg and crew say, no, no, we have to let them remain free forever along it takes if the executive branch is not immediately there to arrest them when they get out of custody. I don't know about Kavanaugh being a constitutionalist. Well, I do know. Kavanaugh is not a constitutionalist. Gorsuch is the closest we have to being a constitutionalist. But it is nice to read common sense, literate application of statutes returning to the Supreme Court. Now, I'm not going to brush this with a broad stroke and say, hey, you know, the good times are here, right? Things are going to get better. We'll take them by a case-by-case -case basis. We'll see how it goes. We're never going to be afraid to criticize when they're wrong. But I'm also going to praise them when they're right. And so, once again, buyer beware. The headlines are wrong. There was no broadening of power. There was simply following the law as it was written. And those who tried to manipulate and distort didn't get their way today. Now, if you don't like the law, then you can change it. If you don't like the fact that the federal government can make these uniform rules of naturalization, then you're going to need to amend the Constitution to do that. In the meantime, the Constitution is the supreme law of the land, and Article 6, Clause 2 says that when the federal government makes laws pursuant to the Constitution, then those laws are the supreme law of the land, and the judges in the states are bound thereby. And it's just nice to see that the judges in the Supreme Court are following the rule of law instead of making it up as they go along for their activist judges agenda. And as a closing remark, just a reminder, our justices do not have lifetime appointments. They serve their commissions on the tenor of good behavior. And being an activist judge is a perfect example of bad behavior. And while there are people trying to impeach the President of the United States, I got a long list of people that need to be impeached as well. So if we're going to start casting stones, House of Representatives, then let's make sure that we have a full and complete list of those who do not comply with the Constitution, who are violating the terms of their employment and start impeaching. And let's not stop until, the and, and, until we clean house, figuratively. Well, thank you for joining me today, guys. Um, I hope you didn't miss JC too much. Remember, we are a teach show and not a talk show. Share, like, speak truth, take back the narrative, and God bless. We'll see you tomorrow.